0: Hi guys, I literally take take a minute. It's just something small I wanted to share with you. Not too long ago, I heard something that stuck with me. Um, and it's get comfortable with God making us uncomfortable. And that's why I'm up here. Um, our brother Justin shared a couple weeks ago in Revelation twelve eleven the enemy is defeated by word of our testimony. This past Monday I was driving to work, 7 30 in the morning, listening to Caleb. And a question was asked, um, how do you know you're at the right church? And instantly I thought, I just, I just know. The first day that I walked in here, I, I just knew that I was. So a lot of calls came through, a lot of answers, but there was one answer that um, I can say revealed the truth to me. And You know you're at the right church when you're growing. Um, I see a transformation in myself, definitely, of growth. And I've been to so many churches and none has affected me as this one has here in my family here. I could see a change, a growth, a transformation in my husband and my son. And then at that moment, I just started seeing um, faces, um, Christine, Michael, Joanna, Debbie. And the names started coming up in my head. And I think God was just showing me the transformation of everyone in this church, the growth that we're having in this church. And I just think that's very encouraging. It's amazing and just very encouraging. Um that's what I wanted to share, but there's just something else I'm going to throw in there. Um, I just want to encourage you guys to pray for each other in here. Last week, Lori and I had a conversation, and God put it in both of our hearts. Um, you know how in general we say we're, we're praying for everyone here, but just pray for someone. Focus on someone specific and pray for something specific. And, and me, I want to just start praying for someone throughout the week. Just continue to have it on my heart. And I just think that will also bring growth and bring more love to the church and us just getting together and um, getting closer. And also, I was thinking about the little sticky notes and Pastor's intention and why he started that and just and just continue to pray for people in Nogatuck, and we want to see growth in this church. I know I definitely want to see growth in this church and bring people to fill up the church. We, we can do this, and start a start of it is just by praying. I wrote, we should want to share with others the love that we share here. We should want others to succeed and be transformed to change their lives and live happy in joy and peace. So let's keep spreading the word. Um, I just wrote a couple verses down. John 14:13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Romans 8:26, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words with groanings too deep for words. And the last one, two Thessalonians 1-3. We ought to always thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. And the last thing, um, me at work, um, I talk about God a lot. I talk about our church, I talk about Jesus, and sometimes I feel like I'm going to get in trouble, I can get fired, I got to calm down with that a little bit. But sometimes I feel like God presents a specific person and, and just says, that's who you got to invite. That's who you got to pray for. And I might ignore him one or two times, but he will continue to remind you until you do it. And I've invited so many people, and not one person has come, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to stop. Um, that's not going to take away that. I'm not going to be discouraged because of that. And the last... Yeah, that's it. If I can help get those people to the kingdom, if I can have God use me in that way, why not? Just keep opening your hearts to God. I love you and I'm so happy to be here with you guys.
1: you.
2: I'm going to stand over there because I really don't want to be doing this and I'm probably going to pass out, so I need something to lean against. Um, so I'm probably going to cry because I feel like the he has really been trying to get in lately and the spirit is just wrecking everything and just... I got it in my pocket. Come prepared. He's... Um, He's using it to really bring me closer to Him. Um, But the the main reason I'm sharing is because I know that God wants me to share and just be transparent with my church family. And I wrote it down because I just get blank-minded when I get in front of people. So for the past three years, I've been battling to surrender my entire life to Him. There's really been two things that... Um, it's been hard for me to give up, which is my relationship and my addiction to cigarettes. When I was living with my boyfriend, when I became born again three years ago, and he moved out, and we we ended up breaking up because we were unevenly yoked. However... He's been in and out of my life since then, because I've been trying to find a way to make it work, even though I knew God wanted me to surrender him and just stop fighting against it. I finally put it all in his hands. Most people don't even know that I've smoked since I was a young teenager. I've always kept it private because I'm ashamed of it, and it brought separation between me and God. I knew this wasn't what God wanted for my life, and I knew I had to get rid of it but never could conquer it. I actually tried multiple times to quit and finally did last year using the patches. But shortly after that, I actually relapsed and I went back on the patches again, and it's now been about four months without using the patches. Praise God. Praise God. I've tried to surrender these things to God in the past, but I've been unsuccessful, I think. The difference this time, though, is that I've been intentional in focusing on God during it. From the beginning, I've been requesting prayer for strength and just sharing my struggles with other Christians for support. Every day I'm in my word, morning and night, even when I have to fight through not wanting to. I know this is the one thing pulling me through and giving me the strength to stay strong, and God is faithful. I've never been one to ask for prayer, but God is showing me there's no shame in it. I'm going to continue to ask for prayer and strength and wisdom from my church family. In James 5, It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And and the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So I realized to fight my own battles was pointless and a waste of time. I need God and my brothers and sisters in Christ to continue on this path of life that God has called me to.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Let's pray for it. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the good work that you're doing in our midst. I thank you, Father, that uh, you're not looking for perfect performance, but you are looking for the hearts that are hungry after you that are willing to just be transparent and authentic before you. And that attracts your attention, Lord, and you respond. And I thank you for the good work and for the freedom that you're just bringing about in our church family, Lord. I thank you for the work you're doing in Tabitha, Lord. The work you're doing in Eileen, Father. Father, continue to just do that work in each of our hearts, Lord. So we can truly be free as you talk about it, Lord. Because you say in your word, where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And oftentimes you have to come in and just surgically do a lot of just work so we can step into the freedom that's been paid for for us. So may we embrace the process and be willing parties and position ourselves to inherit what's already available to us. We praise you and we give you thanksgiving, Lord. Increase the levels of freedom, Lord, in our church, on this street, and in our town. May you set people free, Lord, from substances, from thought patterns. Just things that come into people's life, Lord, that just bring oppression, they just bring bondage, they just kind of get us stuck in a particular mode, in a particular area. They just get us stuck. And a lot of times they trap us and then they fill us with shame. And so we just declare the goodness and the victory of Jesus Christ over all situations. May we stay close to your heart, Lord, and live from your strength minister to our hearts as we read from your word. Encourage us, Lord, about your presence, about your plan, and about relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty. So the Holy Spirit is doing work he's surgically pruning and doing a good work just be ready just be ready and the longer you fight <laughs> the longer it takes the more difficult it gets but he really loves you and he really loves me and he's really as you talked about last week you know last time he's jealous in like a good and perfect way and He really wants us to be with Him. So just let Him do what He's got to do. You're not going to regret it. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 20. Um, I was encouraged to hear a little bit last week that some couples have been reading the passages and like staying in pace. And so that means that they've read it before they came to church and they're ready to say, okay, so now what are we going to talk about now that we read it? And they are talking about how fruitful it was, so that's very cool. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to read this passage here, and then we'll dive in a little bit, and I'll just try and... I don't think I necessarily have i I don't know, three-point sort of really well-constructed sermon. I think I just have maybe some spirit-led observations that I think we'll just kind of pull out. And so I think that's just going to kind of be the way it goes, okay? Um, so let's check it out. So let's read it. Let's see what happens. All right. 1 Samuel chapter 20. We leave off, if you remember last time, which we started church off with, David's on the run. He's been chased out of his home because his father in law, the king, wants to kill him. And his father in law, the king, went to go get him. In fact, he sent multiple uh, kind of little groups of men to go get him. Say, hey, go get him. Let's kill him. Let's be done. They went to go get him. They encountered where David is in the group of people that he's with and the group of people that he's with are prophets and um, they spend their time before the Lord. That's how they spend their time. Not really a monk, you know, not really like in that kind of way but they're prophets are so just spending time before the Lord. Their, their lives are just devoted to it. And so when they came and tried to like just go after David, they were just, whew, just overtaken by the presence of God And they just started just singing to God, talking about God, just the Bible calls it prophesying. So then Saul sends another group, same thing happens to them. He sends another group, same thing happens to them. So then Saul himself, he goes like, you know what, obviously nobody can get it done. I'm going to go get him and get it done. He encounters these prophets and he gets overwhelmed and taken out. And he's laying down, talking all kinds of crazy nonsense, just a ridiculous situation. And the idea being the presence of God will trump and take over any situation no matter who is trying to do what. And so we pick up in chapter 20 where David, he's going to go back and talk to his friend, his covenantal friend, Jonathan, and say, listen, um, what's the deal with your dad? And am I really out of here for good? So he's trying to get some better clarity on that. So that's where we pick up. So it says, Then David fled from Naos to Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? He is an emotional wreck with the world caving in on him. Verse 2. Never, Jonathan replied, You are not going to die? Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. So David's like, listen, he's out to kill me. He wants to take my life over. And John's like, no, that's not the case. If that were going to happen, my dad would let me know. Verse 3, but David took an oath and he said, listen, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. So David said, hey, listen. Your dad wants to do this. This is his goal and his agenda. I know it. And he's not going to tell you because he thinks you're going to tell me. So then, verse 4, Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. It's a good friend right there. I like how he didn't say, You know what? Just stand in faith. Just believe what God has done in your life. Believe what has happened in that living room when Samuel anointed you with oil. Get it together. Suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. (laughs) He kind of could have said that and a lot of what he said would have been true. And there's times in life, I think, when we should do that. But then there's times in life where you say, what, you know, your friend is hurting. They're struggling. They're in emotional, just turmoil and agony. And it's like, you know what? What can I do to help? Just what can I do? It's not the time to preach at you. Just what can I do? What can I do? Johnson's a good man. He's a good man. He's a good friend. <clears throat> Verse 5. Uh, so David said, look, here's what you can do for me. He says, tomorrow is the new moon festival uh, and I'm supposed to dine with the kings but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him. David earnestly ask my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he's determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? And so David tells him, he says, hey listen, he says, you want to help me out? says, listen, just do this. I'm not going to show up at the dinner with your dad and the kings and all the important people tomorrow. I'm not showing up. And he says, basically, based on your dad's reaction, we're going to know where your dad stands. And uh, if you tell him, I'm not going to be here and I'm not here because I went home to go take care of um, you know, an annual sacrifice that my family's doing and I'm taking part in, if he's cool with that and he's like, okay, you know, he's doing something with his family, that's fine. Your dad's probably okay with me. But if he loses his mind and he gets crazy like, that's where your dad's at. He really wants to take me out. So, and then David goes, he says, listen, and he goes, and I don't understand. And he said, and if there's something wrong and I'm doing something wrong, listen, how about you just kill me and we just avoid the whole process? He's kind of crazy a little bit. I don't know if he could blame him. If something was hunting you, somebody's hunting you down and trying to take out your life and somebody's significant at that, Donald Trump put out a thing and they said, hey, listen, go after so-and-so. Surround them, get them, and take them out. Like you might be freaking out a little bit. And so he's talking a little crazy. <clears throat> Verse 9, John- Johnson says, Never. If I had the least inkling that my father's determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? So David asked, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? So basically, if the thing goes down at the meal and your dad gets upset and he says, he could lose his mind, lose his temper, like, how are you going to tell me? And I can't exactly, you know, text him or pick up the cell phone. He's like, how are you going to let me know? Because David can't get anywhere near there. Because as soon as anybody sees him, like, they're going to take him. So verse 11, Jonathan said, come here. So they go out into the field. They went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, By the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, uh, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away safely, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live, so that I might not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a call saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan uh, had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon festival. You'll be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow toward evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come, because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, the Lord is a witness between you and me forever. Um, So basically, here's the deal. So the deal is, he's going to let me know, how are you going to give me a heads up about my dad, what's happening. He said, well, I'm going to go do what you asked me to do. Tomorrow, at around such and such time, we'll go out to the field. I'm going to bring my sort of um, little armor bearer helper with me. Uh, I'm going to go shoot some arrows. And the deal is, you go hide in your spot that kind of he's been hiding in, and as I shoot the arrow, um, when it lands, I'll say, hey, listen, um, why don't you go ahead and bring that back to me? And that was like a sign to David, who's also there hiding and listening. If I say, bring it back to me, everything's cool, and you're fine, and we can stay. If I shoot it, and then I say, hey, go further, you got to keep going, that's code for David, you got to get out. Dad is mad. You're right. It is as bad as you say it is. You gotta go. So that's their little code that they have. Um, verse twenty-four. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in the customary place by the wall, opposite Jonathan, and Abner sat next to Saul. Uh, Abner was in charge of some of the armies, but David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day for he thought something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second of the month, David's place was empty again. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? So obviously Saul noticed and the first time around kind of gave him a pass. He's like, well, maybe he's ceremonially unclean. You could be ceremonially unclean if you touch like a dead body, um, if you're in contact with um, certain uh, fabrics, if you had uh, relations with your wife. It could be a whole range of things, how he could be ceremonially unclean. So it wouldn't be that uncommon. So that's why Saul kind of gives him the pass on the first day. Then on the second day, he's like, oh, what's going on? And then he's not seeing him around at all, so he's like, what's going on? Verse 28, Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. Didn't exactly go down like that, right? It's not like his brother told him to go do it, but Jonathan kind of ad-libbed a little bit there in not the most honest way. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brother's. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Verse 30, here goes the response. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. He said to him, "You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die." So, you can tell right from his response. He's still as mad as ever. He's very concerned that Jonathan has made this alliance and this friendship with David because that means, obviously, that Jonathan will not inherit the throne. And um, that's not what Saul wants to see happen. He wants to see his son become king. He wants to see that line continue. But how many people know that's not what God's doing? But that's what Saul wants to do. But that's not what God's doing. Verse 32, Jonathan's like, why should he be put to death? What did he do? Jonathan asked his father, verse 33, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Verse 34, Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger on that second day of the month he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the Field for his meeting with David. He had a small boy with him, and he said to the boy, Run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow behind him. When the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, Isn't the arrow beyond you? Then he shouted, Hurry, go quickly, and don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all this. Only Jonathan and David knew. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go carry them back to town. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. So kind of a crazy narrative that happens right and unfortunate for sure Um, we just read the entire situation so we don't really need much of a summary on that and you can see what developed and what happened Um, couple couple observations and then I'll close with one okay Uh, one observation is I hope that you can see and I hope that you can tell and I hope that you have heard see, tell, and heard from what just even Tabitha said this morning, from what Eileen said, having having people that are close into your life that have full access is extremely important and needed. Covenantal type of friendships, they go a little bit beyond just being really committed to each other. But it's like, the Lord has really just kind of tied some souls together in a really special way. It's super important. You can't overestimate the importance. And it's really needed. And um, it's not easy for most of us to sort of find a Jonathan in our life. It takes some time. Um, I can't, I'd say for the bulk of my life, I haven't really had one. I mean, I have them now, but it really took a long time. And it took great intentionality. It took a lot of disappointment. You kind of thought some people might be like, oh, I think this is like someone I could really, and it doesn't play out though, and you're like, oh, it's a bummer, you know. And for some people, they take it further than that. They go, that's more than a bummer, in fact. I'm never doing it again. And, and that's not good, right? That's a trap from the enemy. I mean, we need to see that and recognize it for what it is. That's not you preserving yourself. That's you trapping yourself. That's the enemy, like, highlighting the threat over the reality of the freedom. That if we allow God and we allow people into our lives that are close to us and they have access and we can cry together and we can talk about things, things of the Lord, things not just yes people in our lives, but people that will encourage us, that will strengthen us, that are after the same things in the Lord that we are. That brings us to freedom. That brings us to a greater growth and more fruit in our relationship with the Lord. I love how through this passage, number, and these chapters, and this is the last time they'll meet. They're going to hook up again one last time in 1 Samuel 23. So it's almost their last time. But the fast few chapters, you can see what has been happening and developing with them. And the thing that's interesting to me is that David obviously is freaking out and losing it. Losing it, which I would be too. Jonathan is like, he's not even sold really on it in the beginning. He might even be in denial just a little bit. But obviously, he comes to find out. I think it's four times in the chapter. You have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's four times. Jonathan makes a point to David and he says, Make sure you remember the covenant that I took with you. Make, don't forget that. And another time he says, Hey, listen, remember that that covenant that we made together about my family and your family? Don't, don't forget that. And he goes, Hey, listen, remember we talked about my family? Don't forget my family. And he says, Hey, listen, remember when God sets you free of your enemies? and you are in the place you're called to be, don't forget. Don't forget me. What I see there, what I see developing, I see that happening, is I see a friend that's not denying that he kind of did in the beginning, but then he came around. He's not denying the entire situation is happening, but what he is doing is he's realizing that the reality of the situation happening in front of him is not going to overtake the call that God has already placed and made on David's life. That is a good friend. When they don't act like things are just not happening in front of you, but they say, okay, it is, it is, it is. But listen, God is going to do this thing. He said he will. He's going to set you up. So listen, you're going to get there, God will bring you there. It doesn't look like now, and I can't explain it. But he will. And so when that happens, like Jonathan's living over there. And I'm sure for David, he's living right here, right now. And I could understand that. So if you're able to, intentionally seek out and find Just have your eyes open. Start praying for. Just a Jonathan, just in your life, just like, Lord, I need to have my soul just knit together in a unique way with somebody. Because you can't do it with all kinds of I mean you just can't. We're not we're not built to do it that way. But one, maybe two people if you're lucky. But who can you tie with? And I don't say that to create any guilt in anybody. I don't say that to bring forth any shame or condemnation in any way. I'm saying that it's important for us. God wants us to be in a place like that. And when we pray and we ask the Lord for it, he will deliver it. So just keep that there. It's important. And we really need, like, all of us need it. All of us. There's like this certain thing, you know, we don't want to be a burden to people. We don't want to, like, um, make life more difficult for people like there's like this idea if you're a mature Christian you're very autonomous and you can handle everything by yourself that's the biggest lie going it's such nonsense and it really became more of a reality to me um there's sort of like the older generation sort of, of 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 uh pastors and leaders where it was very much like independent strongly independent and kind of do your thing and and there's like a new wave of the Spirit just ministering those, those older voices and they say, listen, we kind of did things the wrong way for a long time. One is we sacrificed our family on the altar of ministry where it's just like, listen, we were just doing whatever we were doing and whatever happened to our family, I'm doing ministry. Right? And that, that's not good. Um, and then the other thing was that they're very independent. They tried to be very strong on their own. Just sort of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like... And there's a place for being strong, right? And like doing that and being independent but it was too much. And now there's a great move from this spirit and a lot of pastors, which I'm thankful to be around, which is like, hey, listen, we got to do this thing together. And as I've continued to build a relationship and kind of just meet more leaders, I'm actually surprised to the degree of vulnerability and transparency that's regularly occurring. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So it, it, there's just a lot of it. And it's just really important and it's really needed. So, to have your eyes and your ears and your prayers open to Father, who's who who somebody I can knit myself to? And again, it can't just be a yes person. It's got to be somebody that wants to go after the Lord with you together. These guys needed each other. And I love how Jonathan was always speaking destiny and future of what God was going to do. Even when David was really losing it. Those are friends that you need. Those are real friends. Um, Another observation. Saul, he he threw a spear at his son. That's just crazy. I mean, that's that's crazy. Saul was determined. He was determined to bring forth what he wanted, even though God wasn't interested in doing it. He wanted to do what he wanted to do and it's not at all what God wanted to do. And it made him really mad. It's a kind of really unhealthy thing. And a lot of times when we're fighting God, really we're just fighting him. And we're not really cooperating or embracing the process. A lot of times we take it out in anger on the ones that are closest to us. It's just a reality. And his son Jonathan is the one following after the Lord, trying to be faithful, do the right thing with what God wants to do, and he's getting nothing but flack from his dad. And so you have that father-son dynamic, where the father's going this way, the son wants to go that way, knows it's right, but he also, he's not trying to just cut off his dad forever. If there's one position in life I don't enjoy to be in a lot of times, and unfortunately I'm in it a lot, is in the middle. I don't like being in the middle a lot with people and problems and situations. I don't enjoy that. I very much appreciate it when another party notices I'm in the middle and they say, hey, you know what? How about I just go talk to so-and-so? I'm like, great idea. Why don't you? That would be amazing. But Jonathan, like, he's stuck in that middle ground. And his dad obviously wants to go a total opposite direction than his covenantal friend wants to go on really the way God is going. And the way the kingdom's gonna go anyways. And there's nothing Saul can do about it. So Jonathan is stuck in the middle and he's trying to respect his dad, still honor him, but yet go the way that God is going. So I really appreciate just Jonathan's just heart, his wisdom, and and I can I feel for I have a compassion towards the situation he's in and what he's battling. So I notice that as well. And then my last observation. um, Last observation is the first part, which I think might be helpful to some of us. The first part, David shows up, and um, he says, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to take my life? What did I do? What's my crime? How did I make mistakes? What did I do? I think a lot of times that, that's an emotion of confusion, overwhelmment, anxiety, fear, all bundled together at a high level. Um, and the interesting thing is, he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, he, he, really, he didn't do anything wrong. He's been doing the right thing. Now, let me pause for a minute. There are some people that aren't doing the right thing. They're not living repentful. They're continuing in habits and in behaviors that they flat out know God doesn't want them to do. And they feel those emotions and they get to that place. And it's kind of like, well, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And God's made it really clear like where he wants you to go, what he wants you to go after. And so if you really kind of make a transformation and decide to head a different direction, you're not going to experience a lot of that. So there's a reality that that can happen. There's the other reality where someone is doing what they're called to be doing. They're living repentful. They're trying to live in right relationship with God. And they still feel that and they still get that. And what I've noticed you know, from being a pastor and leader around people is that a lot of times our first response is, why is God punishing me? Why am I getting punished? Why is God punishing me and just giving me a difficult time right now? And let me suggest to you, I'm sure David was feeling some of that. I don't know if he used those words. But, God's not seeing it as punishment. He's seeing it as Preparation. It's a preparation. David is like being prepared and groomed for what God has called him to be as a person. And this is the way his preparation is going to look. It's not looking like your typical four-year seminary degree with his MDiv and interning at a church and getting to know all the blah, blah, blah and doing all the da, 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 da. For his, he's going to be on the run which, is that the title of the message? No, running for your life, yeah. He'll be running for a good chunk of his life, really for the next 10 years. That's where his preparation is coming. So at times, like, we think, like, punishment, God is chastising me. He's being, I've done something wrong. And that might be the case. I'm, again, I'm not trying to throw that out the window, but I'm making the assumption right now that somebody's doing the right things. They're positioning their hearts in the right way. They're really living open. They're sanctifying themselves. It's just preparation. And the Lord is just doing what he's doing to prepare us for what he wants to bring into our lives and what he wants to do. Let patience and trust do its work. Go with the flow and embrace the process and faith. That's really what it comes down to is being able a lot of times just go with it embrace the process but do it in faith that Father I know you wouldn't just I mean I've just I've been pouring out my soul to you I'm trying to live before you the way you've called me to live it must mean that you're preparing me and setting me up Lord and so Father I receive that from your hand as something good in my life that will bring me to a place I need to be that takes away a lot of fear and doubt and just strong confusion. It causes us to stand in a confident way and what God's doing it actually fills us with some hope. Which is really like the place where God wants us to be. A hope-filled life. So preparation versus punishment. And I really believe, you know, these next ten years, run, run being on the run, being in caves, going to all these places... Hugely preparational for David. We won't get David the king if we get David on the run. It just doesn't happen. And the crazy thing is, even with all that happening, he still turned out to be an awful dad and his family, his family was a mess. But that just gives you an idea of the amount and the depth of work that God needs to do in our hearts and in our lives. The Holy Spirit needs to do a lot. And when we come with that understanding, we're very less like critical of others. We're very like, less judgmental. Um, we have a lot more humility towards us and towards other people. So it really changes us when we have it's an understanding and we come with that awareness of it. And I wanted to just close with you with one verse here. Um, in 1 Corinthians 9, because being on the run ain't that bad. I know David was thinking it was the worst thing in the world. Then it was difficult. Um, I'm not saying that I'd want to do it. It's interesting how being on the run is referred to in the New Testament. Here's how being on the run is referred to in the New Testament by Paul. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 says this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, but they do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man or a woman, running aimlessly, I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Being on the running, a horrible thing. Our flesh hates it; really, doesn't enjoy it to be under pressure. But um, that's the way Paul describes the Christian life: is like in a run, in a marathon. And it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We've talked about that often. This thing's a marathon. And uh, run in such a way to get a prize. With humility, with other people by our side, and community. In a way to where we try to maintain ourselves as closely connected to God's heart as possible. So we can live from His strength. And not be defeated by what's happening or occurring around us. So, I think God allowed that chapter to go in the Bible. To show us a little something about relationships. Probably keep us aware a little bit of how hard maybe sometimes people fight against what he wants to do. Um, And also ultimately, it's interesting how David does honor Jonathan's family later. They always have a place in the kingdom and at the king's table because of that relationship. And I just want to suggest to you that no matter who you are in your family, it takes one person, one person to make a stand and say, you know what, I'm following after the Lord. I'm declaring God, Lord of this family, Lord of this home. We are going to follow after him. We are not going to budge. Jonathan's family was not saved and always had a favorable place at the king's table because of Saul. It was because of Jonathan. We just have to figure out a way how to make it happen. How to get it done. Alright? Okay. Let's take some communion together. Maybe Eric, you want to help out? There you go. Rob. Rob. And as they're passing it out, what I wanted to do is, uh, you want to grab the uh, offering bin there? or somebody? There you go. Yeah, yeah, I'll put it up there. <laughs> Something going on. Okay So God, we just thank you, Lord, that life is never only exactly how we see it. We think that our perception of what happens to us and around us is not the final say. We thank you, Lord, how even though Saul was maybe king, he wasn't in control. and we thank you Lord that We know that the enemy, Lord, is alive and well and doing what he's doing, but we know he doesn't have the ultimate say or the final authority. And we thank you, Jesus, for just being obedient even to the point of going to the cross so that we could experience and have victory in you. We thank you for the price that was paid for all of us. And I just pray, Father, that you will fill us with the spirit of courage and boldness to live in what you paid for for us. To be able to access it and live in it and understand it. We just come with a thankful heart. says the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. And so he take and we eat. says in the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink from it in remembrance of me. So we take it and we drink It says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And talk about betrayal. I mean, that night of, you know, Jesus and being betrayed. And you have David being betrayed by, you know, his father-in-law. I love how, I just love how that starts off. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and gave thanks. The night he got betrayed. He wasn't so wrecked by the betrayal that he couldn't move forward on what God had for him. And thankfully, Jonathan was able to help David with that. He wasn't so locked into the betrayal and just injustice. He was able to still move on and move forward, you know. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, we didn't get a chance to, but I want to make sure that we do it. Um, us as a church family have been doing good as far as honoring the Lord with what we have. And uh, our you guys, I mean, been doing really good. So... We continue to grow in generosity in the area of finances, all of us collectively together, which is really good, which is a sign, right, of the Spirit just moving in people's hearts. Just as He comes in and just brings the freedom that He brings, it just causes us to just sort of open our hands a little bit, you know, and just creates faith, you know, when we do it. So it's good, and I want to draw attention to it, and I just want to thank God for it, and I wanted to just bless also, um, you know, what's been given and whatever's in there, whatever's online. Okay? We're going to pray for it. So if you could, just stick your hand out towards it. Father, we thank you for what you've blessed us with. We give it back to you uh, in worship and in faith. And Father, we just say, Lord, do whatever, spend it however you want. Make it go wherever it needs to go. Multiply it the ways only you can. We trust and believe in faith for what you can do and for what you will do. Continue to teach us that our resources are not just tied to our bank accounts, but they're tied to you. Thank you for the good work you're doing, Lord. We trust you and we believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand. We're going to close in prayer. So, if there's anybody here, you heard some good stuff, and usually there's a, the Spirit does something in the moment for people to to just help and have a little extra measure of grace. So, anybody here that would just like uh, prayer for uh, addiction, substance, just stronghold of any kind that you want some prayer for right now that we can pray for? Just raise your hand if you do. Raise your hand if you do. Amen, brother. We're going to get it. Anybody else? Substance, stronghold. Anybody else? Yes, yes, yes. Praise God, that is good. On the way to freedom. One last time, I'll belabor it, make it weird, but it's just important, and we should do it. Okay, so for three right here. Okay, extend your hands out towards them. They all happen to be over here, so we're going to lock up this corner over here. So, Keith, why don't you bring the prayer? Go ahead. Spirit of addiction, command mm. mm. yes, you to be our brothers and sisters right now in Jesus' name.
2: You are a liar. The truth is that Jesus, the day of Christ, died for these precious people. Thank
1: you, Lord, for restoring dignity right now, restoring power, restoring Just putting their feet on a whole
0: other path, bringing them to a new place. Thank you for your great love. we pray that all your love is pouring them right now. Hmm. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to bring back for all the years that the locusts have eaten will be restored. Thank you, Jesus. All
1: medical problems would be completely straightened up and erased in Jesus' name. And we thank you for your amazing love, your love, your love for those. You know that you love your people. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Hmm. We just declare freedom, Lord, over all three of them, Lord. I thank you for the boldness and the courage. To even raise their hand at church to step in faith in the right direction Lord and so Father we just declare the freedom over their lives Holy Spirit touch them and anoint them may they do as Tabitha described not in their own strength but look into you for your strength Lord may you show them Father show them Lord how they can just rely on you Lord and go forward in your strength so all praise glory, and honor goes to you Lord it's just a testimony of what you can do bring a freedom Lord Speak to their hearts. Give them direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, let me bless you guys before we go. The uh, Old Testament blessing. So may God keep you, bless you, make His face to shine upon you, and give you peace. In Jesus' name, they all said, Amen. Amen. Amen.